As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Tommy Solo's Famous Friends. This is where I get to chat with people who I've connected with over the years in the world of arts and entertainment. And today we're starting a new series. This is Rock and Roll Stories from the Bar, where we talk to artists like today. We have Frank Soda, seminal guitarist and veteran of the Canadian classic rock scene. And we're going to talk about our adventures while we were playing six nights a week, traveling around the country in the bars. How are you today, Frank? I'm doing well, thank you. Nice to talk to you again. Yeah, well, it's always a pleasure. And I know we've talked on the phone a few times since our last interview, um, official interview. That was May 2020. And I know we were both really optimistic at the time that maybe by that following fall, you know, the fall of 2020, we could maybe get together and have a coffee and, you know, share some stories. But that didn't happen. So here we are again. You know, we're uh, almost coming out of this thing, and hopefully we get through this fourth wave without too much peril. But so first of all, we're talking about you and your own career in music. I know you were a seminal rocker from the 70s and 80s, and you influenced a lot of people's careers. You played with Thor and the Imps. You played on Lee Aaron's first album, you and Rick Santers and all that stuff. And you were the first and the only guy that I've ever seen blow a TV up on your head. So you've got lots of cool stories about playing in the bars. What would be one of your favorite memories from playing in a bar? Well, speaking of the TV blowing up on my head, there was the one time when I was playing in a bar, and this is not like it's a fond memory or not, but it's a memory that I have when I I was touring and playing. And it was the time when there was a bit of punk stuff you know, sort of happening in the bars. And uh, we played a place called Barrymore's in Ottawa. It was a real nice theater type of place. And we were playing and doing our show, and I guess some of the punk type of element of the, of the audience, someone just grabbed the beer bottle and threw it straight at my TV that, that was on my head. Now, what I have there, it's a vivid memory because I have a, a double plate glass that I can see out of, and then the light would shine on the TV, like the front of the TV. And thank God that I had duct tape behind it because when the bottle hit, and if I wouldn't have had the actual gaffer tape behind it, it would have shattered and I could have got blind, you know. So that is a memory I'll never forget. And this 
bottle just came crashing there. I felt it, but thank God it only broke that little small part where there was no gaffer tape. But I'll tell you that a big riot broke out totally after that because, of course, the bouncers bounced on the guy. And the other people that were with him, they jumped in to go against the bouncers. It was just a nightmare after that, you know. But I'll never forget that because it could have been a more dangerous situation than it was. Yeah, no kidding. And, you know, you and I both know there's a big difference, too, between playing in the bars and playing in an arena. Yeah, you got bouncers in the bar, but sometimes there's only one or two guys there to provide security in a room that holds between two and 300 people. If you were playing in like an arena in Vancouver or in Toronto or whatever, you've got security on the stage, security at the front of house, security everywhere. So that was one of the things that people really didn't stop and give any consideration to is that when we're out there trying to make a living playing in the bar six nights a week, we didn't have a whole lot of protection. Oh, no kidding. Oh, no. There was a couple of incidents that, uh, like I said, we actually would hide because there was like uh, fights and things would break out, you know, and like we're not fighters type of people. But there was one incident in Quebec City, which I'll never forget, was the Circus Electrique. I believe that was the name of the club. We were, uh, they put us up in a separate place, like a motel or whatever type of place. But because we weren't speaking French when we were there having lunch or whatever, these two really big grease balls were basically just speaking French, but our drummer was French, and they were saying that they were going to come and totally kick the crap out of us. That's what they were saying. So our drummer sort of says, we better get out of here type of thing, kind of nudging us and stuff. Sure enough, they followed us out. One guy actually had a knife, and then we had to sort of go in the back of hotel, and we actually had to call the cops, you know, because these guys were after us. And they literally were just out there to, to just, and anybody that spoke English, they, they were going to beat the living crap out of us. And sure enough, we had to go hide in a kind of a closet because we ran out the back somehow, and I don't know how we got out of there. But we hid somewhere, and one guy ended up calling the cops, which they came down. So, you know, I mean, stuff like that happened all the time in, in these bars if, you know, you uh, don't know the area type of thing, you know? Right. And, and, and you're, uh, Yeah. Yeah, well, I had my own experiences playing in Quebec as well, and I'm actually of Francophone descent, although I lost most of my French years ago, having lived in southern Ontario for so long. But uh, I can remember playing in places in northern Quebec, Lassar, Rouen, Noranda, and you got the distinct impression that if they thought you didn't speak French or weren't going to try and speak French, that things could go really sour. So the other guys in the band would just tap me on the shoulder and say, can you, like, introduce the band, you know, and it would be, uh, yeah, yeah, bienvenue, le spectacle, uh, solid gold band. <laughs> and, and then yeah, yeah. Then everybody was okay, you know, but uh, yeah. don't try and get me to say much more than that, but that would seem to be enough to <laughs> kind of smooth them over a little bit, you know. Yeah, but, but these guys were just a bad element and stuff, and uh, apparently they were just nothing but shit disturbers everywhere, anywhere, you know yeah, what I mean? They were- yeah, typical greaseball, local tough guys. No future that doesn't involve being behind bars. And it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, French or English. You know, you get people like that all the time. I mean, the way they were looking at us, I kind of sensed it, but I didn't realize what they were saying in French. And my drummer was saying, we better get out of here now. They're going to come and just, you know, and start a real big ruckus. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But you have some better memories of playing the bars, too. I know you recorded an album 
at the Piccadilly Tubes in Toronto. So I'm sure you've got some fond memories from that experience of playing in the bars. Well, that was my favorite bar, to be honest. The Piccadilly Tube, where you go now where the center is down there in Toronto, but you go downstairs, and it was a fabulous bar to play because Rush had played there. You know, of course, the Max Webster, all the bands played there, you know, and you, and you want to, that's one of the ones that you, you can't wait to play. And what happened was the uh, Chum FM, they were looking for Canadian bands that they were going to feature. And they came down one time and they heard us and they said, we want to record you guys live. And the DJ at the time, he was arranging things like that with, with new and upcoming kind of Canadian bands. And it was just a fabulous night because whether you record, or you make mistakes or you do you know, licks that you didn't really plan on doing or you do, it is what it is. They recorded it live and it was... As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's going on the air, like in Chum FM Live. And then they made an album out of it, you know? So to me, it was exciting doing that because, you know, it is what it is. You know, you just, you plug into your Marshall amp and you play. To me, that's the easiest kind of gig to do, you know? And particularly, too, was... Always a place I used to go check out bands there. And whenever we played there, it was always packed, you know, because in those days. And I had nothing but great memories of the Piccadilly, too. Yeah, I'll bet. And you've, yeah. you've played some other um, cool places. Well, I know you played at the Gasworks in Toronto, but there was one place that I remember seeing you play in southwestern Ontario, a little place in St. Thomas, Ontario, called Eddie's. And that was the first time I had actually seen you blow up a TV on your head while performing on stage. You hadn't quite developed that trick when I first met you a few years before that up in North Bay, Ontario. I remember whenever I played the St. Thomas area, it was such a, a fun place to play because we, we would stay there. It wasn't just like a one night thing, you know, we would play there more than one night, as you recall as well, you know. And my memories of St. Thomas was we met people as we do, like when we tour around, you end up playing places and then you end up meeting, like I met you, for example, like musicians and just people that, that come to your gigs. And I remember during the day, we'd hang out and we'd trip around the area with them or we'd go to parties and drinking beer and doing whatever. And then at night, we'd go rocking in that room. 
I remember that, you know, the people there, they just enjoyed the show, and it was like a kind of a, a camaraderie between everybody. You know, the band couldn't wait to play places like that because, you know, we established a kind of a following. And then when we'd go to a, a place like Eddie's, it would be just like, you know, almost playing in your living room, except a little bigger, you know? <laughs> I get it. Yeah, it was a pretty friendly and warm environment there. Yeah. Yeah. Were there any notorious bars in BC that you played at? Any incidents, good or bad, that you remember? Well, yeah, in BC, I played all the bars that like, were happening around here at the time, from, you know, the Outlaws and the Metro, it was called, and bars like that, the Boo Pub, you know. So I played all the bars, but there was one incident when I moved out here from Toronto. I, I moved out here late 80s, early 90s. I didn't play for a little while, and then they wanted me to do a, a gig at this bar. It was on Main and Kingsway. It was called the Lunatic Fringe, I believe, at the time. But it was a great bar that bands used to play, and they had a downstairs, and they also had an upstairs, right? At that time, we went, and we were set up downstairs because I do the pyro, you know, and then stuff explodes and whatever it is. So we were downstairs playing. But the weirdest thing is, is that we didn't realize what was going on. The pyro goes off and we're doing this and that. But apparently upstairs, it had turned into a kind of a a gang kind of hangout. Like, we didn't know what was going on. It was a complete different section than downstairs. And after our show, we go upstairs and and the place is all closed off because some people had gone up there with baseball bats. And there was a big kind of a gang war bang. There was people like ambulances outside, cops outside. And the whole street was basically closed off. And we just thought, thank God that we didn't go up there while some of that stuff was happening. We, we were doing our show and playing while all that stuff was going on. So thank God we didn't like kind of just, you know, have a break and then go upstairs in the middle of all something like that. It was just a nightmare. Yeah, I, I know that tune. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, I played in a band years ago and I won't mention the band, but... Um... We were playing in Brantford, Ontario, and the bass player in our band had a way, he was just mouthy, and, you know, he had a way of instigating things no matter where he went. So I guess yeah. he was mouthing off to some guys in Brantford, and Brantford is another one of those tough little towns, you know, factory town. You don't want to just mouth off to people that you don't know. And so I remember we were playing the Saturday night, and it was a six-night gig. We were playing the Saturday night, and he was given some three or four of these guys a look like, yeah, you come at me in my band. And like, we're just like, just shut up. Just don't even, yeah, whatever. But then at the end of the night, we went out to the van and they had ripped the side door off the van. And we had fishing gear in there and baseball gloves and balls, you know, stuff we used to try and keep ourselves occupied during the day. If we could get out of the bar and, you know, not play pool for an afternoon. But they didn't take any of that stuff. What they did is they stole, we had a crate of matches that had the band's name and logo and contact. They stole that stuff. But, you know, you get into these hairy situations and you're just thinking, like, why am I here? You know, why, why, why did I not stay in school? You know? Yeah, no kidding. I know. It was the best time of our life and it could have been the worst time in our life. But most of the time, we wouldn't stay there for anything, would we? <laughs> No kidding, because I know that for yourself and me too, you know, I probably wouldn't have sold any CDs or records or anything at all if it hadn't been for the bars, because it's always been tough as a Canadian act to get signed. And if you did get signed, 
you didn't have any guarantees. I know you've signed record deals and I'm sure that the story is similar to what most are is that a lot of times management puts all the money into like Fleetwood Mac, you know, or Peter Frampton. Exactly. And there you are on tour hoping to get past your advance. But yeah, the bars were really our salvation in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then because we played the bars, that's what we'd get the recognition that, that we could even get a recording contract. You know, they say, oh, you got to check out this band. Oh, this could be the newest band to come out of Toronto. And, and then you strive to play the places that, like you say, the Gasworks, Elmo Combo, whatever the bars are, you want to play those places so that you could put yourself in the same level as the bands that played there. And then you hopefully get signed and then get someone to put something behind it, like a, as far as promotion and put you on tour, you know? Yeah, and I know back in those days, guys like you and I, we could actually make a decent living playing in the bars, you know, six nights a week. And it was a lot of work. You were driving from, you might have been driving from Vancouver to Kelowna to get to a gig, or I might have been going from Toronto to Thunder Bay. But we kind of knew for the longest time that we had another six nights ahead of us and that we were going to get a paycheck at the end of it. Did you ever have trouble getting the money playing in a bar? Well, you know what? I, I did one time when we played Detroit. I remember we were playing there, and it was a heavy place, that place. We, we were playing there. And when you go get paid, I mean, number one, never go get paid and then walk out of a place like that. They would jump you in a heartbeat over there. But I think our road manager went to get paid, and there was a, he didn't get the money like they was asked for, and he was, they were getting into a bit of a... For example, if it was $1,500 or $1,000, the guy's saying, well, it's only this much. But the guy had a gun, the guy in the back room there. So I think what happened was our road manager just ended up going in there and saying, okay, it is what it is. And then he took whatever the guy gave him, even though it wasn't maybe, you know. And, and this was early in our career, too, when we were kind of young and naive, too. But I think that, that incident there, we didn't get paid. And there was a couple of other incidents where, We'd show up at a gig, and then the gig was canceled. We've had incidents like that, you know? And then we'd have to move on to the next town, and then hopefully that the guy would give us the hotel room, like, you know, so we could wait for the back end, you know, for the Thursday, Friday, and Saturday to play, you know, where our front end was canceled. Stuff like that happened, you know? But for the most part, not really, you know? Yeah, I know. You just reminded me of a time that I was in a band years ago, Right around the time that we met back in the late 70s, and we were booked yeah. to play at a bar in Mattawa, Ontario. And that's just west of the Quebec border, about a half an hour. But we got all our stuff set up on stage, and then the bartender comes up, bartender slash owner, I guess, comes up and says, didn't your agent tell you? You guys are too expensive. I've got somebody else coming in. And we just finished <laughs> setting up our PA and the lights, and you know we're ready to go. And then they said, you're too expensive. Go home. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So that cost, see, stuff like that is terrible because it costs you money, you know, and which is ridiculous. But stuff like that happened. But just overall, if you take over the whole year, you know what I mean? It sort of worked itself out. If, you know, the one bad apple didn't spoil the whole bunch, if you know what I mean. Back then, it was kind of like any other business. You know, you had bad business experiences, but for the most part, if you're running a business, you had a good year if you knew what you were doing. Uh -huh. Right now, as we're recording this, you have a house guest, kind of unexpectedly, who's out west doing kind of a similar thing to what I am. Uh, you've got Brian Vollmer staying with you for a little bit. 
And I remember, and I'll, I'll confirm with him maybe later on, I might talk to him on the show too, but I seem to recall seeing a magazine article where they talked about uh, the A&R guys from the record company flying up to Kirkland Lake to sign Helix in the bar. So that's the kind of thing that would often happen just out of the blue when you're playing in a bar. You'd have somebody from a record company there and say, hey, uh, here's the paperwork. You want to sign it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I had the same kind of incident happen with me. I was on Quality Records, and I had a five-album deal with Quality Records. And Mike Tilka, you know, we became friends when I toured with I used to open for Max, so we did the shows and stuff around Southern Ontario for the Max Webster. And me and Mike became good friends. Uh, Terry Watkinson started playing keyboards with me in my band as we toured. Mike Tilka produced a Saturday Night Getaway album. And then he brought Ray Daniel from SRO, the agency down, to a bar to check us out. You know, he said, like, for future, you know, maybe we can either, we could think of buying out of the contract. I was signed to the Quality Records and I had a manager, uh, Bob Conley, so I couldn't really do anything contractually you know, myself, but he came down to check it out. And then if it would have worked out, we could have signed something with SRO at the time, but it just happened that it was hard for me to get out of that contract. It had it worked out, Ray Daniels may have made an offer right there and then. Well, Ray Daniels yeah. was Rush's manager. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ray Daniels, what happened was when Kim Mitchell, you know, basically let Tilka go and Terry out of the band and he had different members and stuff in Max Webster. Mike Tilka became vice president of SRO is what happened. So when he was producing my album, he was vice president. So that's why he said, hey, Ray, check these guys out because, you know, maybe if we can work out something with quality records or whatever it is. So that's why he came down. But he was such a nice guy. He, was, he came down to check it out. But I'm sure that record companies did that quite a bit in those days. Yeah, I think they were all trying to snipe other people's talent as much as they could if they thought, like, Rush might not have had the best management behind them before Ray Daniels came into the picture and they were kind of ripe for the picking. But, you know, Mike Tilka, I just talked to somebody else about Mike the other day. Just uploaded my most recent interview with Brian Gagno, who you'd know from The Hunt. And he and Mike Tilka are working on an album uh, on an album project as we speak. Oh, I know. I'm involved in that, too. I mean, he sends me all this stuff. It's stuff that, that he has all different musicians working on, you know? It's all great stuff, if you know what I'm saying. But uh, it's at the time where Mike himself was saying it's hard like, to get even signed for anything like that right now. But him and Brian have been working quite a while, quite a bit together. Well, isn't it a small yeah. world? Because like I say, I just, I just uploaded my recent interview with Brian where he talked about working with Mike Tilka and... By so few degrees of separation, are we separated? This is just crazy. Well, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a funny thing, but Brian, he played with me for a, a, a couple of tours. He was fabulous and great guy to play with him. And then he got tired of the whole thing and he went and basically did what he's doing now, which is producing and recording and doing stuff. He just wanted to get off the road, kind of. And he basically did that ever since in the mid 80s or whatever. From then on, that's all he did. Yeah, well, he was like a lot of yeah. us, you know, he had a young family at the time. And when the hunt went from playing arenas to uh, back to the bars six nights a week, he kind of got tired of it. And, you know, we know the rest of the story. But yeah, he's actually asked me if I wanted to do some recording. And I'm, I'm into that. Yeah, I, I really am. You know, oh, you should. You should. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but well, you should, you know. 
I see all your stuff online. You got all sorts of stuff happening there. You might as well just put your talents and something like that, you know. But he said, you know, Mike Tilka had Daryl from uh, Genesis. He's one of his closest friends. He was on one of those things. Editor's note, Frank was referring to Daryl Sturmer, who is widely known for performing live on both guitar and bass with Genesis on tour and as being Phil Collins' live guitarist on tour. Now back to Frank discussing his experiences working with Mike Tilka. He sends me this uh, song that they're working on. He says, hey, Frankie, I might think of doing a little solo part on here and blah, blah, blah. And then I, and I didn't have my studio set up at the time. So he says, well, just listen to it and if you can. So I couldn't do it. I phoned him back and listen, my studio's not set up. I can't really do nothing. So he sends it to me back a week later with Daryl's guitar part. I says, what the hell you need me for there? <laughs> Fabulous guitar player. <laughs> Daryl Strummer, fabulous guitar player, you know. So he's got guys like that on there. And he'll probably send you tracks and you just put some guitar stuff on there and then they, they mix it. If they use it, they use it. If they don't, you know, yeah. It's a fun little project. Yeah, well, this is one of the, I guess, one of the upsides of this pandemic is that some of us old timers are getting to learn new technology and gives us something to do at home. But uh, anyway, Frank, I, I don't want to take up your whole day here, but man, we sure had some good times touring the bars, didn't we? Oh, no kidding, you know. What a great way to make a living. Do what you enjoy. You're working on your craft, your guitar playing. You got a place to stay. You party with friends and people you meet during the day, and then you play at night, and then you move on to the next town. You know, you get to see the country and do something you love. You know, you can't ask for any more than that. Well, I know that from my one, I played a show at the beginning of August, and it was like 1,400 people in attendance at this big festival here in London. And the response from the people was just crazy. So it kind of makes me wonder if maybe the bars will ever get back to those glory days. Who knows? But anyway, Frank, thanks so much for being here today again. And it's always a great pleasure for me to talk to you, Frank, and shoot the breeze. Until next time, cheers. Well, cheers to you, and let's do it again soon. All right. Frankie, Frankie, Frankie. Frank Soda, otherwise known as Soda Man, enjoyed a long and illustrious career, touring all over North America, playing six nights a week in bars, etc., before being signed to a major record label. And he was most famously known for his raucous stage shows, Live, Frankie was something to be contended with for sure. He is uh, a legend in that realm. And we talked about him blowing a TV up on his head. Oh, and by the way, you got to Google search Frank Soda Exploding TV. Without further ado, here is the song TV People featuring Frank Soda and the Imps. This is called TV People.
Tommy Solo's Famous Friends is a one-man production, meaning that I've done all the work, including producing, editing, guest acquisition, etc. All rights reserved. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The theme song for Tommy Solo's Famous Friends was written and recorded by Tommy Solo with a little help from my friends in the night crew. And hey, if you like the show, why not subscribe? Until next time, cheers.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.